just want to pray. Father, I just thank you for uh, the, the privilege. I just respect the honour of um, just bringing your word this morning. I thank you for the trust that you place in me, for the trust that Paul and Ruth place in me. Uh, and uh, Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus that everything that's said this morning would have people wanting to make Jesus more and more the centre of their lives. I thank you, Father, that Jesus would just come amongst us and just invade our very being, spirit, soul, and body. Thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. Awesome. Last week, um, Paul here uh, led off into our Jesus at the centre. And he said that when you place Jesus as the centre, it makes you more peaceful, more joyful, more useful, and more powerful. And he said something in there, made a statement in there, and he said, safety consists of the presence of God, not the absence of of fear. I thought that was something that really um, tucked into me. Safety consists of the presence of God, presence of God. This morning, I want to give you part two, Jesus at the centre, and I've entitled it, God has always been like Jesus. And I'm going to be reading from a few short verses from the beginning of the Gospel of John. And so if you've got a Bible going for you, if you want to turn to that, and uh, we're going to start off by looking at verse 14. I just want to explain this because it's sort of poetic language in this, these verses, but I just want to explain exactly what we're talking about. Verse 14 says this, So the Word became human and lived here on earth amongst us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we, is, we have seen his glory, the only glory of the Son of God. And the Bible is an interesting book. Interesting book. It is written in Greek. The New Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Languages are interesting things. English is a little bit like a skinny kinna because it doesn't explain things. It just has words the Greek language in which the New Testament was written was a deeper language. A word communicated a thought, not just a word. There was a thought behind it that communicated it. Māori is like that too. But English is quite shallow. So it's interesting, when we're preaching to you sometimes, you'll hear people mention the new international version, which Reuben has said to me is actually the North Island version, NIV. Um, you will hear us mention the New Living Translation, which is what I'm reading out of. You'll hear us mention the King James, the New King James. If you Google it all, there's literally heaps of different translations of the Bible, and that can be confusion. There's modern ones called the, a modern one called the Passion, and these, the Message Bible, all these, it can be confusing. And you might say, why are there so many different translations of the Bible? It's because we're trying to communicate the Bible teachers and all that, trying to communicate the depth of the meaning of the original language, and that's why. So here it says in verse 14, so the Word became human. The Word became human. Now, 
to somebody that's never heard that before, that sounds really weird, weird, you know. How can a word, a word, you know, like bananas, how can you know, <laughs> that become human? You know, it's, it's, it's weird, but this is a depth of meaning here. So this word is a Greek word. When it says word, it says it's the word logos, and it means the personal manifestation of God. That's what this logos means, the personal representation and manifestation of God. Not a part of God by nature, but the whole of God's nature is represented in this word. And this word is Christ, Christ the Messiah. So the whole of the nature of God is represented in him. We can say that Christ makes God visible to us, to humanity. Christ makes God visible. His nature, what he loves, what he prioritizes is represented in Christ. He absolutely, perfectly represents God. So now we know the word, when it's talking about the word, it's talking about Christ. And it says that he is full of of unfailing love and faithfulness. Here in the original language, it used the word, words grace and truth. Grace, what does grace mean? It means literally unmerited favour. Favour poured out on you, good poured out upon you, blessing poured out on you, without you having to do any work to earn it. That's what grace means. What does truth mean? Truth literally means there is not an ounce of deception or deceit in him. He is purely honest, more honest than we can ever imagine, incapable of deceiving. That's the nature of Christ. And we think of two words. We think of grace and truth. But in the original language, it was one meaning. So this person, Christ, is grace and truth right through him. Nothing else, grace and truth. Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me, it comes to the Father except through me. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. The nature of one person representing God inseparable from him in like kind of nature. And then the, the third part of that verse says, it says, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of God. What does that mean? That means that the guy that wrote this had actually witnessed the grace and the truth of Christ in the flesh as real as Paul is real. Absolutely real. He was there. He was a witness to this grace and truth. So now I want to track through these verses. It's sort of poetic language. I want to go to verse 1 of John chapter 1. And it says this, and it's sort of poetic language. Actually, people outside of Christianity love this language. Scholars study it just the way it speaks. It said, verse one says, in the beginning, the word already existed. He was with God and he was God. In the beginning, in the beginning. The implication is there before creation. In the original language, before creation, Christ existed. Before creation. To me, that means this. 
If the Word was with God before time began, if the Word is part of the eternal scheme of things, it means that God has always been like Jesus. When we see Jesus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we see God, His nature, His intent, His purpose. The next part of this verse says, and he was God. There has always been the closest relationship between Jesus and God. In the Old Testament, you'll see sometimes when it says the angel of the Lord came to somebody, Abraham and ones like this, that was Christ. That was Christ. Stick me with me this, with this. He was with God. This means Jesus is the best source of information on what God is like, what His will is for us, and what God's love, heart, and mind are like. Jesus is the best source of information on what God is like. And then it says He was God. John says here that in Jesus and in Him alone, there is perfectly revealed to all of us, all of humanity, all that God always was, is, and forever will be, and all that He feels and desires for us. Do you get that? When you see Christ healing, when you see Christ forgiving, He is showing us the nature of God Himself, God Himself. In the next verse, it says, And He was in the beginning with God, and He created everything. Nothing exists that He didn't make. He is the creative life source. He is the multiplier. He is the grower. He, he does that with us. We receive Him in growth and multiplication in the energy within us. It's the creative force. And then it says, life itself was in him. And the power to give life was in him. And this, we strike Greek here again. And this word life is zoe, zoe, Z-O-E, Z-O-E, zoe. And it literally means this. Remember, Greek communicates a thought, not just a word. And the thought here in this Zoe is life as a principal thing. Life is a foundational thing. And it literally means life as God has it. Jesus laid down his life that we might have life. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I came that you might have, it, have life and have it more abundantly. That's literally the meaning there. And then it says, the light shines in the darkness. I love this verse. And the darkness can never extinguish it. The Passion Bible says this, and this light never fails to shine through darkness. Light that darkness could not overcome. Darkness does not understand this light and cannot overpower it. Darkness cannot stop us understanding Christ. This light, the literal meaning of this light is that the light comes on. You know that saying, I had a light bulb moment. I suddenly understood it. That's what this light is about. It's bringing us understanding of who God really is, of who Christ really is. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Okay, cool. We're getting there. 
Um, Now I want to flick over and look at verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read it to you. Remember, Christ is the life. He came into the world to bring life and truth and grace. And here it says in verse 10, but although the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him when he came. Even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. And then verse 12 says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. The Message Bible says it this way, but whoever did want him, did want Christ, who believed in him, and who, who he said he claimed to be and would do what he said, he made their true selves, their child of God selves. The transformation that comes into each of us when we receive Christ, when we believe him. Hear that, it makes us our child of God selves. The Amplified Bible says this, that as many, but as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right the authority, the privilege to become children of God, those who adhere to and trust in and rely on Him. Authority is a hard case word. We think about authority like Jacinda putting us under lockdown. You know, you can, you can make people do what you want them to do. We think about that authority. The authority of Christ is not like that at all. It gives us the authority for, for, to fight for those who cannot fight. It gives us the authority to push back against powers and principalities of darkness. It gives the, us the authority to proclaim the name of Jesus even in darkness. It's that type of authority. It gives us the authority to love when there's dissension and prejudice and racism. It gives us the, the, the authority to push back against those prejudices that would try to rule over our world and push against them in the spirit and prayer. It gives us the authority in prayer that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. That's the authority we're talking about, okay? The authority to love, to bring peace, to bring joy, to love the unlovable. And also there's a key thing in here. It says that those who trust him rely on him. I love this, the thought of abiding, abiding. Sometimes for me in real life, when the pressure comes on, I feel like opting out of things. Church has sometimes put me under those types of pressure. Church people, leading, things that happen, things with children and family, and they make you say, I'm out. That's it. I've had enough. Um, you know, it's gone. You know, and but the Spirit of God, when I go to Him, and when I read my Bible, and when I pray, He says to me, "Abide, stay, stay put, stay where you are, stay with me. Don't you leave. Don't you go." And every time I have done that, you know, I'm I'm being upfront here. Every time I've done that, when the time goes past. There are blessings that come. There are encouragements come. There's new people that come. There's blessings and anointings that come that I would have missed out on completely if I had opted out of my faith or whatever, however you interpret that. So the power to stay and see it through with Him. Keep Him at the centre. 
awesome. They're born again. This is not, this is verse um, 13. They are born again. This is not a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan or sex, in one translation says. This rebirth, rebirth comes from God, comes from Him alone. Thank you, Father. Now I want to flick down and look at our last verse. And this is um, verse 17. And it says in this translation here, it says, for the law was given through Moses. God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Christ Jesus. Came through Christ Jesus. The Passion Version says this, Jesus unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. Here again, the Greek says grace and truth. Grace, unmerited favour. One translation says, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's, that's Christ. That's Christ. Our faith is based on grace. The Ephesians verse that Paul read out before, we are saved by grace through faith, not our own doing. Don't Get, let legalism come in. Listen to this. Law demands. It demands you must do this or it's... That's what the law says. Grace inspires. Grace inspires. The law demands. Grace inspires. The law puts on pressure. Grace anoints, empowers and restores. Now people say, if you're always about grace... People will just sin willy-nilly and no matter what. But I tell you, if you get a real revelation of the grace of Christ, it makes you so thankful, so grateful, so thankful for your redemption, for your healing, that you just press into Him. The Scriptures say, awake to righteousness and sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Law makes us inward-looking. Grace and truth makes us outward-looking. The law makes us self-conscious. Oh, did I do something wrong? Oh, man, I did that. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? That's what law does. Grace makes us Christ-conscious and outward-looking. Why? Because we are so aware of what He's done for us it empowers us forward. It empowers us to trust him more. Awesome. Awesome. Christ, Jesus at the centre. There's an old hymn that says, Christ alone, cornerstone. Christ alone, cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of our lives, of our faith, of us moving forward. Father, I just thank you. Um, for your grace and love. As the ministry team rushes around now, I just thank you, Father. I thank you, Father, for the simple and yet profound message. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. There's one thing more I want to say, and that's um, this book is interesting because it's in two parts. If you can see in my Bible here, it's got, it says New Testament. The major part of it is Old Testament and there's New Testament. 
That means an old agreement and a new agreement. The interesting thing about the Bible is that God dealt with man under law for hundreds of years, pointing towards Christ, to bring Christ in. And men have uh, misinterpreted the division between the old and the new. Um, an apostle called Paul in the New Testament said to a young protege called Timothy, rightly divide my word of truth. Rightly divide my word of truth. And I get concerned when well-meaning Christian people use some of the legalistic things in the Old Testament over the new. And that is not rightly dividing the word of truth. We've always got to look at the old with Christ. We're going to look at with the truth of Christ. And um, men have never been able to truly understand the mind of God and the belief systems of God until Christ came and he showed them. And you can see the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the scriptures can sometimes not be enough. You look at the Pharisees in the New Testament and they absolutely knew every scripture down to the pat, but they missed Christ when he really came. Missed Christ when he really came. So Father, I pray upon all of us that we would rightly divide your word of truth, that we would see the old in the light of Christ, that Father, we would be totally aware of your grace and the need to keep Christ centre at all times. Thank you for that. And as every one of us have got our eyes closed, I just want you to think about what Paul said last week in his message, that true safety comes from the presence of God, the presence of Christ in us. We're obsessed as a culture with safety and comfort. And these things can be false in our lives and take us down the wrong track. So we want our safety to be sourced in Christ. We want our comfort to be in Him, regardless of our life circumstances.